Colossians chapter 1, please. You know, as we were talking before services started, you know, there are so many books that are out there. You know, I think it was Solomon said in the making books, there is, there is no end. You know, people are always writing books, and there's a lot of topics and a lot of subjects about the Christian experience. And, you know, it'd be wonderful if all of them were right, if all of those were true, and if all of those were accurate. But we know that they're not. And, and a lot of your Bible, particularly the New Testament, was written to correct errors that, uh, that begin to creep in and cropped up during the early days of the church. It's interesting. We don't find much of that in the Old Testament account because usually many of those were historical. That was just a recording of the facts and those prophecies and so forth that were to take place that you find in amongst the both major and minor prophets. But the New Testament, because God's economy was changing, going from law to grace, from Israel only to all the world, preach the gospel unto every creature, go ye into all the world and do that. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, the devil just can't stand prosperity. And, uh, and so he has sowed, if you will, his tares not only in the church, but I think also out there in doctrine. And the Bible talks about there in the book of Timothy that in the latter days, you know, there will be people that give themselves over to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Why is that? That is all intended to, uh, to if you will, to prohibit the gospel from doing the work that God intended for it to do. And the book of Colossians is no exception to this. There's a there's a teaching out there. One of the things that this book was written to refute or to counteract, if you will, was the, was the subject of Gnosticism based upon the word the Gnostics or knowledge. That's where we get the word knowledge from. And they believed, <clears throat> they believed that God was so holy and so far removed from sinful men that he couldn't have had anything to do with creation, that it was angels that created the world that then that, that now exists and so forth. And Paul writes to correct that. Look with me in chapter 1 and look, look what it says in verse 15. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So, I mean, God is the creator of this universe, amen, and the sustainer of it. And uh, he's still on the job, and, uh, and none of that has changed. And so that's one of the things, and so, so that gave rise to a teaching that said that we have to have some sort of go-between between God and man in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that's a lie. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and 15 that there is... That there's only one man and mediator between God and men. That's the man Christ Jesus. We don't have to have another. That's the reason why you and I, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because we've been, we're children of God. We've been justified by faith. We have access into that grace because of our faith and justification. Therefore, we can go right into the very throne room of God. And God says we're to come boldly when we do it to come boldly in our approach and not be afraid and not be standoffish. So he's writing to correct that. Well, there's another ism that's in here, and, uh, and that is, the, if you will, the, what's called asceticism. Look, look in chapter 2 with me, and I'm just laying this as the foundation as we approach this book. But notice what it says. <clears throat> look, notice, look, look in verse 20. I'm in chapter 2, verse 20. Notice what this passage says. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Now watch, which are which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. What were they doing? They were adding to the gospel message that said, and basically this is where legalism comes from and uh, and we've not we, we've not been called to go back under the law you can't mix law and grace it's kind of like adding salt to water you don't have water anymore you just don't have salt 
you have salt water. So the mixing of law and grace, it's no longer law, and it's also no longer grace at the same time. You know, and Paul will write in the book of Galatians, he said, are you, who, he said, are you so foolish? Who hath bewitched you? You know, and he was worried about them that, you know, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And so, in other words, there was a group, the Judaizers that were coming along that said you not only had to believe on Jesus Christ, but you had to keep the law of Moses. And we know that that's not so. That is not so. I couldn't save myself. You couldn't save yourself. And you know what? You can't keep yourself saved. Amen. Amen. Thank God he's doing the keeping. Amen. Not me. It's on him. Thank God. And, uh, and so, but, but there's an element out there because the idea, if you will, the idea uh, of us uh, living a life in grace that chooses righteousness and so forth, that just seems so hard uh, for, men to, for men to get a hold of because the man is religious by nature. There's always something for him to do. And, I, and I'm going to say this. It seems like you know, that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of preachers and pastors and teaching and so forth that sort of, that sort of <clears throat> resembles that of the Democrats. You know, Democrats don't believe that we know how to spend our own money. They don't believe that we know what to do with it or whatever. And so they have to do all the thinking for us. That's the reason for big government, that you and I were just too inadequate with our finite brains to be able to determine for ourselves how we would like to live. Well, there's some, there are some preaching and, if you will, some pastors out there that on occasion they begin to think the same way, that we have to do all the thinking for you. No, God wants you to come and exercise your conscience and exercise your brain and walk with him. Amen. That way your faith does not stand in the wisdom of men where a more clever man can undo what the previous man has said. That's why Paul said our faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of men's words, but in the power of God, in the power of the cross. That's the reason why sometimes in some churches, when the pastor leaves, the people go back to doing things the way that they used to, because they were only doing what they did so as to keep peace between the pulpit and the pew. And beloved, God wants you to learn how to walk. Amen. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you look pretty silly if you were still trying to show your children how to ride a bicycle at this age? Talk about being out of breath, brother. You'd be out of breath, you know. Hey, there came a time, yes, you pushed them to get it along, but there came a time when, <clears throat> when your son or daughter, they took off on their own and you didn't have to chase them down. Now, if they fell down, you went over there and you picked them up, brushed them off and said, all right, let's get back on here and ride again, right? Well, the same thing is true, if you will, in the ministry to a degree. But the idea is for you to learn how to pedal your bike, amen? For you to be able to run your race and to walk with God. Because you're going to have to have that. Because preachers come and go. Some leave, some die. I mean, it's just a part of, it's just a part of life uh, for, the, for the believer. And so this book of Colossians, it really is meant to deal with mysticism. It's meant to deal with legalism. It was written to deal with something called asceticism, to be an ascetic. This is where people live in a monastery and they cut themselves off from the outside world, believing that that's going to improve their relationship with God. Listen, <clears throat> our relationship was settled on the day that you got saved. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Colossians says, I'm complete in Him. And I don't have to have something else. And so cutting ourselves off from the world doesn't improve my relationship with God because it doesn't change the hearts of men. And so Paul is writing to these people whom he had never seen. Look in chapter 2 and look in verse 1. He said, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. Now watch. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, which is just about 100 miles east of Ephesus there in Asia Minor. He had never been there. He had never seen them, but he knew just like those Judaizers that were following him on his missionary journeys, trying to undo what he had been doing and had been establishing. Do you remember in the book of Acts in chapter 15 and 16, they had that big meeting in Jerusalem. They were trying to get this issue settled between, hey, is it believing in Moses as well as the Lord Jesus? 
keeping the law of Moses. And Peter gets up there and says, man, we know that our heart, just like theirs, their hearts were purified by faith, just like ours were. Amen. And, uh, and so James writes that letter and tells the churches, here's what we, here's what we need to do. And, here's what need. and that's why Paul said, when he wrote and said, man, they didn't add anything to me. In other words, they confirmed the message that he had been preaching. That salvation is by grace through faith alone. Amen. And, and not in need of anything else. And so these books like Galatians, like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written to correct errors. The book of Colossians was written. Now I've said all that just to bring us to the passage, all right? So bear with me here. Let's look at this. Look in Colossians chapter 1. And I'd like you to see this tonight. Notice what it says in verse 9. In verse 9. And this has to do with the will of God. The will of God. Alright. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now watch. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, what Paul was praying about for these believers that he had heard about was that he wanted them to know what they were to do and they were to know why they were to do it. And beloved, the same thing is true about us today. We need to know what to do. We, you and I need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote in chapter 5 and said, he said, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so he wanted, just like for that church, he wanted for the church at Colossae to be very familiar. And as a matter of fact, it says to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom for us to get that. And with that wisdom, remember what, what Solomon said? With all you're getting, get what? Get understanding. Why are we doing the things that we do? Why do we do what we do? Why do, why do we meet on Sundays instead of on Thursdays? Well, you know, that because that's the way they've been doing it for a long, long time. No, there's a reason for it. Amen. I mean, we, we've come to celebrate the resurrection. This is the Lord's day, but you know what? But every day is the Lord's day. Amen. And, uh, and, so, uh, but, and so to know why we do it. If you were to ask the, the various people about things, if you were to go up and down the road, they might give you a lot of reasons why, why you do certain things. I remember uh, uh, learning about this. I don't know how true it is. And so I, that's my disclaimer on this. But you say, well, where did the Sunday night service come from? Well, I heard, you know, in doing a little research that the Sunday night service came about when electricity came about. Some of the first buildings to get lights were churches and other businesses. And so out of curiosity, some people came on a Sunday night to the church house because they had lights. They had incandescent bulbs. And people wanted to see those, and they came for, and they got there, and they got preached to, and it just sort of caught on, and and people have been meeting ever since on a Sunday night. But in a lot of places, you know, even to this day, there isn't a Sunday night service. I know in Austria they don't have one. Those men over there, they work, and the children go to school six days a week. The men work six days a week, and so the only evening that they have off. Where they can be with their family is on a Sunday night. And they have kind of an extended service in the morning on Sundays. And have a little fellowship after the morning service. And they're doing, they're doing what, uh, what they believe the will of God is for them as an assembly. <clears throat> and they are Baptistic in their doctrine. It doesn't say Baptist on the building because Baptist over there in Austria, those are all charismatics. So they couldn't put the name Baptist on there because they're not a charismatic church. They're a Bible-believing Bible preaching, independent Baptist church, except it just doesn't say Baptist, but it is Baptistic doctrine. And so, uh, so this book was written, was written to correct some of those errors. And the way you do that, just like building a house, you don't try to build the roof first. You got to have a good foundation for, for the walls to set upon and then the roof and every, every board you put in here helps to support the, the previous board that you just put up. So that the structure is sound and whole and has integrity. 
And so here he is in writing this book, he wants to outline for them some truths that are here and he wants us to be able to see that. And so, uh, you know, I think it's the same prayer that we have today. Man, I want you to know the will of God. Every preacher wants his people to know the will of God, that you might know what to do, how to conduct yourself, how to walk with God, how to walk for God one day and do those things. And so, uh, and so he writes this with that purpose. And, and so we find the purpose in that. Look in verse 10. Why did he do that? One, number one, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. He knew that if they were in the will of God, if they knew to do the will of God, they would be pleasing to their heavenly father. And that's what he wanted for them to be pleasing. And you know what? That's the desire of every true believer. I may not always get it right, but it is the desire of my heart to please my heavenly father, to do what he wants. Uh, to, to, to enjoy his favor and blessing that comes from knowing him and walking with him. And, uh, and so it is that he writes for them here, that they, that they may be pleasing in their walk. And so knowing what to do and why we do it pleases the Lord. Just like how you and I, we want sons and daughters who are wise. God wants sons and daughters who are wise. All right, notice what else it says that you might walk worthy, look in the middle of verse 10, being fruitful in every good work. He wants us to be productive. Knowing the will of God will help produce fruit in our life. One of those things that's a part of the will of God is that you and I are supposed to maintain good works. It doesn't mean that we're working our way to heaven. We're just working because we're on our way there, all right? Some people have pitted, I, I remember talking with someone about this. They said that James was a Jewish book only and not for, uh, not, not for us as believers today in the church. And I disagree with that totally. And uh, because it talks about James said, you know, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. And what it is, they just don't understand. James and the apostle Paul are not butting heads. They're not on opposite sides, if you will, of the issue. Faith justifies us before God, but it is my works that justify me before men. I mean, what good would it be, Brother Larry, to go to medical school and then never come out and practice medicine? Wouldn't that be silly to call yourself a Christian and never, never practice what a Christian is? Well, hey, that, that's what he's talking about. So James and the Apostle Paul, they're, they're, they're not in opposition. It's not a contradiction in the Bible. It's just justification before two different groups. One is before God, that which justifies him by faith, justifies us before him by faith, and those works which justify us before men. But God wants us to maintain a pattern of good works. We're to do that. And so we have opportunity. That's a part of knowing God's will, that we be pleasing unto him and that we be productive. And then, and then the third thing is, is that we be progressing in that walk. Look in verse 11. It says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now watch, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto what? There is that word again. Man, that word crops up in so many places. And I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. And I think the older I get, the more I struggle with that word, patience. Man, patience. And strengthen with might, and I need that might in my life. I wrote this in this. I wrote this in the side of my Bible in my margin right here. It's. I said what I need. <laughs> now, I, I don't know. Is your Bible kind of a personal record? Do you write in your Bible? I write in mine. And, uh, and man, I got things underlined here. All that stuff I need under all patience and long suffering. How? With a bad attitude. What does it say right there? With what? What was that, Brother Larry? Joyfulness. Man, it was hard enough just to say patience, but now he wants me to do it with joy. The Christian life, listen, the flesh, the flesh cannot live the Christian life. It cannot. Man, how we need the power of God, how we need the Holy Spirit in our relationship for these things to be able to take place, right? Which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Man, joyfulness in verse 12 says, giving thanks, all these byproducts. 
these are byproducts, if you will, of being and knowing the will of God, that we would be pleasing, that we would be productive, and that we would be making progress in our walk. That's why it's so important. And that way, they wouldn't get caught up in these other things, these isms that are out there, like Galatianism, or the asceticism, or the legalism that was out there, the mysticism. That was being presented in those days. You know, they got, there came a time in the history of the church that when somebody died, they began to venerate the bones of those people. You know what I say? Venerate means to worship. They worship the bones of these men. Listen, there's only one who's worthy of our worship. And that's God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the object of our worship and of our praise. And as much as we enjoy men... We're not to think about them above that which is written. I remember the first time I went to a mission conference at Town East, brother, in San Antonio. Have you have you ever been to that church? Uh, and uh, and during mission conference time, brother Larry, they have a they have like a uh, oh like what you might find in a Macy's or maybe in J C Penney's. They have a they have a counter there. It's glass and it has some shelves in it. And you know what they have in there? They have shoes in there, Brother Bill. They got shoes in there. And it's shoes of missionaries who are dead and have gone home to be with the Lord. And some some who and and the, and the caption over this display cabinet is, How beautiful are the feet of them that carry the gospel. Man, I, I thought, wow, what a what a wonderful thing. And so they take a pair of those shoes, they use cowboy boots. The last time I was there, and that's what they take up their faith promise, and they pass that boot around. They don't pass a plate. They pass that boot around that some missionary wore on the mission field, whether it was in Mexico or South America, I don't know where, but how beautiful they are. And uh, and so in learning these things and, 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 and in embracing these things, how important the will of God is in our life. Can you know the will of God? I say unto you, yes, it's very possible to know the will of God, to do exactly as Paul said. You know, and I, I can think of the general will for everybody, and that's meant everybody ought to be saved. Amen. Amen. That's the general will of God. The specifics get a little more, they get a little more difficult to discern for each of our lives. I certainly don't know the will of God for all of your lives. I don't know that, but I know the general will is that every man, woman, boy, and girl ought to be saved by the grace of God. Amen. Uh, you know, the Lord even said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God. It's the will of God that we be saved. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I am headed somewhere with this. Romans chapter 12. And look here with me. Romans chapter 12. If we're going to be filled with the knowledge of his will, then there's got to be that starting point. And, and I, I'm moving past this matter of salvation, the, the foundation that has been laid. But how do we go from there? How do, how do we make progress from there? And from there, you come to Romans chapter 12. Another church where Paul, at the time of the writing, had never been to. He had never seen them face to face. And that's why there's so much doctrine here in this Bible or in this book that is practical. By the time you get to the end of chapter 3, you know exactly what the, what the conclusion of the matter is. Go, go to chapter 3 with me. You're, you're there in Romans 12. Keep your place. Go to chapter 3 and look, look in verse 28. There are several times the word therefore is used in the book of Romans. Many times. Notice what it says. By, you get, by the time you get to end of chapter 3, Romans 3 verse 28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. He'd already taken men from a lost state and bringing them along, gives them instruction and tells them what the Lord had done for them in providing salvation by grace through faith. And concludes that men are justified by faith and not by the deeds of the law. All right. You get to chapter 4. We find out about this promise that was made and how God imputed righteousness and so forth. And then when you get to Romans 6, 7, and 8, you learn about this victorious life. And that's the reason why I go back to Romans 12 in, in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Here's another therefore. He's coming to a conclusion that we do what? That we, by the mercies of God, 
And brethren, you and I, we have been the recipient of the mercies of God. If you were to go back through those 11 chapters, you would just find one mercy after another, after another, after another. The fact that he didn't kill us, the fact that he sent his son to die for the ungodly when we were enemies of God, when we were sinners, if you will, that was the name given to us, and we were at enmity with God. And he didn't do that, but rather he demonstrated his love for us when he sent Christ to go to Calvary. And that's what it means. That's what the word commended means. God commended his love. He demonstrated it. So many people talk is cheap. I, you know, uh, I, 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 I saw something on the computer where people were saying, man, I just love you and I love you. And I said to myself, I said, they just met them. They don't love them. But they throw that word out there like, like it's supposed to mean something. And it doesn't. It's just an expression anymore. But that's not the way our Heavenly Father operates. No, he demonstrates his love to us really every day. Every day he does. And so because of those mercies that we have received, Paul beckons and, if you will, uh, begs these people. I beseech. That's what beseech is. I'm begging you, he said, therefore, by the brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, if you and I are going to be pleasing and be productive and make progress, We've got to answer some questions, all right? And so I've just given you a little, I, I got a little self-test here for you. I like to do these. Just some things for you to contemplate, all right? They're, 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 uh, you're not going to be graded, okay? There's no papers to turn in, all right? But I just want you to ask yourself these things. The very first one, am I available? Am I available? You know, a lot of times we pray, God, use me. Have you ever asked the Lord that, Lord, use me? But in doing so, you know, in order for, in order for you and I to be usable, we've got to be available. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus in 1 Peter, it says that he no longer lived his life to the lusts of men, but rather unto the will of God. 1 Peter 4 and 10. That the rest of his life, he didn't live for the lusts of men, but he did for the will of God. Now, I don't know about everything that happened to him as a young person. We read about him when he was 12. Remember when he was in the temple, his parents were looking for him. And I think it's interesting. Where did they find him? They found him at the house of God. And if you're looking for the Lord, you can find him at the house of God. Amen. And, uh, and so then we read about him. The next time we read about him is some, 30, some 18 years later. He's about 30 years old. And what does he do? He's out there being baptized of John. He put aside that carpentry and whatever he was doing there in Nazareth. And he begins his, if you will, his public ministry. And what was he doing? He wasn't living then to the, to the requests of his parents, if you will, in that carpenter shop. No, now he was living his life. By the, for the will of God, doing what God said, and he did it with the rest of his life, some three and a half years that he would have left. He was available for the Father to use him. And that's exactly what the Lord did. That's exactly what his Father did. He used him in so many different places. And Jesus was used of the Father. And so, you know, the songwriter, you know, he's got that song in here, says, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And, uh, you know, and that's more than a song. It really is. It's an attitude that we ought to have. Not just an action, but an attitude of surrender. You know, if I, you know, you have to ask yourself, for whom am I living? Whom am I, li who am I living for? Am I living for myself or am I living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my life really counting like that? You know, we, we, you know, it's like there's a story that I, I, I remember being told. And I don't know if it was based upon truth or not, but it's a story. It makes for preaching about a woman she used to pray, come to the altar all the time. And she would pray, God, please save my husband. Please save my husband. And, uh, you know, and the pastor would go down there and she said, yes, I'm praying for my husband. And finally, he began to come to church and, uh, you know, and answer to prayer. And he began to come and listen and listen and listen. One Sunday, man, he went forward and he got saved. Got gloriously born again. Well, man, then he wanted to come back Sunday night and, 
Man, then when Wednesday came around, he, you know, he started going to church on Wednesdays, and uh, and uh, he was there. And man, when they were going to have a work day, he wanted to be a part of that. If they were doing something at the church, I mean, he just wanted to be a part of it. Go in visitation, teach me how to do that, Pastor. Started going to Sunday school, and, and finally the wife, you know, kind of uh, kind of went to him and said, you know, he, you know, he's up here at the church all the time now. And she said, I, I wanted him saved, just not that saved. You know, and, and that's kind of where some folks are. I just want to get in, but I, you know, I just want to get in the door, but God wants you all the way in. You, 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 and I'm not saying that man wasn't all the way in, but you understand what I mean. It's kind of like I heard Bill Allen say once about what the Lord said. He wanted to have a church without spot or wrinkle. And he said, well, yeah, you've been washed, but have you been ironed, you know, without wrinkle? And, uh, and that means going in a little further than just, than just, well, I got saved and, uh, you know, when I come when I want and I do this when I want and I don't do that when I don't want to and so forth. No, it means giving yourself all the way, surrendering yourself. And so part of this here, presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our what? Reasonable service. It's reasonable. When we consider everything that he has done. And if you and I, if we want to make progress, if we want a good foundation to, that, to be laid that we can build upon and increase our knowledge of God, then part of that is making ourselves available to him, all right? Making ourselves available. That's what the Lord Jesus did. He lived the rest of his life not to the will of men or to their flesh, but to the will of God. And so really, who... Who holds the keys, if you will? That vehicle out there, you know, it basically, it submits itself to you. Every time you put the keys in, you turn the motor on, put it in gear, and it goes. It obeys. Well, who holds the keys to you, all right, in your life as you yield yourself? Are you available? You know, when you think about it, we, we are enjoying the gift of God, but when we give ourselves away, that's our gift back to Him. It's our gift to Him. And, uh, and that's really all that he wants is just our hearts and everything that goes with it. Amen. And so you just have to ask yourself, am I really available? If the Lord wanted to use me in a capacity, am I available to him? And I know that there are, I, I understand our ages and their limitations. I can't do all the things that I used to do. And, and, uh, and you know, some of those things, I'm probably glad that I can't do them anymore. And, uh, but nonetheless, but I still want to be available. I still have a story to tell. I still have a testimony to share, and, uh, and I, I want the Lord to use me. And so that means I have to be available. I have to be available. Look, look, you're in Romans 12. Look in verse 2. Notice what it says. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be, uh, what, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And why do we need that? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't believe that those are three different wills. I've heard that mentioned one time, but I don't believe that. I think those just talking about the same will. It's good. It's acceptable. It pleases the Lord. And it's perfect. It's perfect. The perfect will of God. And we can know specifically the will of God for our lives. You know, as to what we're going to do. And so the, the question is here then, not only am I available, but am I adjustable? Am I adjustable? Meaning, notice what it says, be not conformed to this world, but be a what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means, do you have a teachable spirit? Do you still have a teachable spirit? If you want to stay away from the isms that are out there and the errors that are out there, then God has to be allowed to train our minds and our hearts to be teachable in the way that we should go. Because you don't want to cut yourself off. When you're no longer teachable, really, you, you, you're telling that, all right, Lord, that's as far as I want to go. When really he wants us to be near and go all the way. Man, I want to finish my course with joy, don't you? Amen. 
And I, I want to stay teachable. I, I want to learn. If we're going to increase in the knowledge of God, how does that happen? That happens through our walking together. And as I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, then he points something out to me, and then I can make an adjustment. And that's what the word renewing means. It means literally to have an adjustment in my thinking. And that's what happened to that. That's what had to happen to me after I got saved. I don't know about you, but I wasn't thinking about God before I got saved. I wasn't thinking about doing the will of God before I got saved. I wasn't interested in going to church. I, I, I certainly wasn't interested in passing out tracts. I wasn't interested in talking to somebody about God. I didn't know him. I wasn't even sure if he existed or not. I was. I was a. I was what we would call not an atheist, but I was an agnostic. If he was there, I just didn't have any personal knowledge. No knowledge of it. But I got saved. And then I started telling people at work. And I talked to my parents about it. And, you know, when I surrendered the ministry, I called my dad. I said, man, I, I, I surrendered the ministry. And he said, I'm very disappointed in you. And he hung up on me. Man, that was a test right there. It was about three days later he called me back. Or we had an occasion to speak, and then, you know, then he changed his mind. For him, it was all a wait and see. I'm going to wait and see how this goes, you know. And, uh, but I had to have an adjustment in my thinking. You know, it happened to, uh, I, I want you to go, keep your place there in Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians 16 with me. You know, I'm not the only person that's been that way, had to have an adjustment. Don't you think a little bit differently about things than... Than you do that you did before you got saved. I'm sure you do. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 16 and look in verse 12. Notice what it says: "As touching our brother Apollos, I'll wait for you to turn." 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12: "As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time." But he will come when he shall have a convenient season. Well, what about Apollos? That's, that's the man that Aquila and Priscilla ran into. And all they heard him preach was the baptism of John because that's all that he knew. And so now here's, here's this man, Apollos, who was a great orator, who was very eloquent, I suppose, in his speech. And yet here's Aquila and Priscilla, a couple of tent makers, and they get there with him. They say, hey, listen, you know, there's a more perfect way. Let, let me tell you about that. And they tell him about the Lord Jesus. And what does he do? Now he goes on. He, didn't, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't full of pride. Where, what, who are you? Who are you to correct me? I'm Apollos. You know, I, I'm, I'm a noteworthy speaker. People appreciate what I have to say. He didn't do that at all, man. He took that instruction and went on. He was able to be corrected. Do you remember when Peter was there in the book of Galatians? You remember when he was there and he was there with Barnabas and so forth and they were fellowshipping with those with those believers in Antioch and they're sitting at that table, they're eating together. Now there's Peter, that Jew, and Barnabas, he's a Jew. Paul is a Jew and he's got all these Gentiles there. And suddenly when Peter hears that James and some others from Jerusalem are coming, what does Peter do? The Bible says he dissembled himself and he, he, he moved away from them as if they had the plague or whatever. Why? Because in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish culture, a Jew wasn't supposed to fellowship, let alone eat with a Gentile. And he was afraid of what they would say. And what did Paul do? The Bible says in the book of Galatians that he withstood him to the face. Why? Because he did it publicly. I, I'm thinking about... I'm thinking about Big Peter, a fisherman, and I'm thinking about Paul being sort of a smaller guy. You know, and he kind of gets right up there in his face, kind of like a Nathan, thou art the man, and said, you know, basically he, he rebuked him for what he was doing, that it wasn't right. And to, and to Peter's credit, you know what? He took it, didn't he? And he will later on and write about his about beloved Paul. You know, when he's writing there in the book of in 2 Peter, when he's writing there and says, you know, about the things that Paul writes are hard to be understood, but he talks about our beloved brother Paul. He didn't have a falling out with him. He didn't say, man, who are you to correct me? I was in this thing longer than you. I actually saw him. I touched him. I sat right there with him. All you had was some vision on a road to Damascus. I mean, he could have said, man, we're still not really sure about you. He didn't do that. He was able to be corrected. Brethren, if you and I, if we want to go on and walk in the light, receive more instruction, 
that we've got to be we've got to be malleable. Do you know what I mean when I say malleable? That means to be able to be shaped and formed and by the word of God and the spirit of God, by the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. And as you teach classes, and I suspect probably I'm praying that, you know, that that's what the case will be down the road. You've taught in the past. You guys can still do it. I know that. My wife told me what a good job y'all did, and I commend you for it. You said, man, it was uncomfortable. We were being stretched. What was God doing? Broadening your usefulness. Amen. What a wonderful thing. Wasn't it a blessing to be used of God? Yes, it is. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. But it requires of us. You say, well, man, Brother Ed, I'm afraid I've set in my ways. Don't do that. Now, I'm not, you know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, let's put the balance on this. It says, meddle not with them that are given to change. I'm not talking about being unstable or impulsive. I'm talking about just being changeable when change is necessary. Brother, I remember what you said to me. You said, brother, we know that men aren't exactly alike. No two men are alike. We know there's going to be changes, but we're ready for change. You know, you, you greatly encouraged me with that statement. You did. You helped me. It, tells me. it told me a lot about you. And brother, some of the things you shared with me about this is what the pastor wanted and this is what we did. He was the pastor. Brother, you encouraged me with that. Brother, where you did, you encouraged me. I didn't take that as a negative at all. Uh, to me, it just shows that, that, uh, that, that the men that are here have character. But we haven't arrived yet. We haven't. And, and I say that with love in my heart. I don't, I don't mean that as a... I don't, I don't think that you're ignorant, brother. All right? I'm not thinking that. I'm just saying that, man, I don't know what God has in the future for all of us here, but... There's a reason why you're still here. Amen. That race to be run and things to be done. And, uh, and we're looking for the will of God. And that means being able to be, whether it be corrected or adjusted. You have to ask myself, yes, am I, am I available and am I adjustable? Can God tweak on me a little bit here or there? You know, one thing I learned this about what a sculptor does a sculptor, you see those guys get that big block of marble or whatever it might be or granite. What they do is they have an image in their mind and they remove everything that doesn't look like that image. And I know when I got saved, man, there were some big chunks that the Lord had to, like my drinking and my cussing. Do you remember that? Some of y'all are smiling. Do you remember some of the big chunks that he took off? Amen. After you got saved and, and man, go out and get a Bible. I didn't have, I didn't own a Bible when I got saved. And, uh, and those things, and then what does he do? Man, then he starts polishing. The tools aren't as heavy. They're not as, as uh, they're not taking the big chunks. Now it's just polishing here or there, or sanding or, or doing whatever, because God has an image in his mind. And what's the image? He's trying to conform us to the image of his dear son. And that means being changeable. That means being formable, that God can work in our lives. Look at Ecclesiastes. Keep your place there in Romans 12. Go to Ecclesiastes. Let me give you a verse right here. Look at what this says. Ecclesiastes 4. And look in verse 13. This is how, this is how we stay away from the, from the errors that are out there. You know, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, doctrine, that's not the right word. A lot of the, the, uh, denominations and religions and so forth that are out in the world today that do not follow the Bible, they all started because somebody had an idea. Somebody thought this was the way and their dogmatism and the frequency with which they said it, the strength of their words when they said it, convinced people that this must be the way rather than going to the Word of God. And not, Again, that still goes on today. And the way that we stay out of the ditches is by we having a firm foundation as to what we know the will of God is. And that means by understanding this word and, be, and being able to be corrected by it. Look at verse 13. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. Notice what it says. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Can the Lord correct you? 
Can he still correct you? Are you correctable? David said in Psalm 141, he said, he, he, he thought it was an oil. He looked at it as a, as a medicinal thing for him to be corrected. He said, let the righteous smite me. He used the word smite to correct him. And uh, so am, am I adjustable? Can God work in my life? I want the right foundation. I want to grow in grace. I want to have some fruits. I want to be productive and I want to be, I want to be making progress. And that means and being adjustable where God can work in our hearts and lives. It's what we want. It's what we want. And then go back to Romans 12. And, and then the third one, and I'm going to be done, is am I approachable? Am I approachable? Romans 12, look in verse 3. Notice what Paul said. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. One of the things about, about this knowing the will of God and so forth means that you and I, we have to walk with humility. And, one of, and that is one of the key ingredients of godly wisdom, having godly wisdom. Remember that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will unto all wisdom wisdom and so walking in wisdom means that you and i are to be easily entreated that means approachable the lord jesus the bible says of him that he was full of grace and truth he had enough grace that said come just like you are but there was enough truth about him that when you got there it brought a little conviction in the lives of those that that came near to him but he was approachable. That's why the little kids, they felt comfortable. He said, man, suffer the little children to come unto me. They weren't afraid of him. Now, there's a man in the Old Testament. His name is Nabal. And I think it's interesting. If you, take, if you turn Nabal's name around, his, his name would be Laban. And the word Laban means to be a fool. All right? But Nabal married to Abigail, right? Remember, David's men are out there protecting his men in sheep shearing time it was a vulnerable time they could have been robbed or killed and david stationed his men around there why because david in his heart of hearts what he was a sheep he, he looked after the sheep right and so uh, and so he knew what that meant sheep shearing time he knew how vulnerable they were hey let's stay here let's protect these men while they're doing this it's what's going to be best and so when he sent for a little help to nabal Man, Nabal chewed on, who is this David? Now, he knew who David was. Man, David's fame had already gone out. This is the David that had killed Goliath. He knew who David was. But he just wasn't going to give up his things. He wasn't going to share what he had. This is my sheep, my meat. This is my feast. I mean, it was all about my, 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 you know. And one of the servants came and told him, said, told Abigail, and said, man, your husband is such a churlish man that nobody can talk with him. You can't approach him. Have you ever met somebody like that? Man, I have. Man, you find them on jobs a lot of times in some of those blue-collar jobs where men are working with their hands or they're working in a ditch or they're working at a plant and they're just so, I, I, you know, I know this from a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit about being in, uh, working in the oil field just a little bit. Man, there's a lot of that. You just can't talk to them. They got their mind, it's just this way, my way, the highway. And that's kind of like how Nabal was. A man who was churlish, high-minded, and no humility. Brethren, if we're going to do the will of God, it requires, it's going to require of us a choice that we have to make. And that is humility. Ladies, if you're going to fulfill your role in creation, you have to be clothed with humility. Again, I, th I think about the things that you all do every day. In the, some of the mundane things like the laundry. I, I had the privilege of going and helping doing laundry. I don't know how much help I was, but uh, of going to do laundry. And it all came back to me. I realized I don't like sitting in a laundromat. Amen. And uh, I used to write my prayer letters in there when I was on the road on deputation. I would use a laundromat. I'd try to do anything, get my mind off of those clothes. And I, no, I didn't separate them, ladies. I didn't. I just put them all in there, dark and white, didn't matter. And uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. But, uh, but you know, but it, it uh, 
but ladies, when I think about what you all do, you, you know, you just get done. You just empty the hamper and sure enough, there's a pair of socks. I mean, like, where did they come from? I just got rid of that. There they are again. Something just to do over and over and over and over and over again. That takes a lot of grace and it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to do that. And uh, I appreciate you. I do. I, do. I don't underestimate your value at all in your home. And usually it's when, it's when a wife is not able to do those things that a man really comes to appreciate some of those things. When you got to make your own sandwich or whatever, you know. I know some guys, you know, they got two meals. They have peanut butter and jelly. And then a hot meal is they have peanut butter and jelly on toast. All right? And uh, other than that, they can't do very much. And so I'm just saying, are you approachable? Are you approachable? If you have those things, then God can use you. God wants to use you. Make yourself available. Have a teachable spirit. Be adjustable to the will of God. Not to every impulse, but to the will of God. There's nothing wrong with being strong-willed, brethren. You don't want to be like a noodle. You want to have a backbone. To be, I mean, to be strong-willed means to be, man, I really have to be persuaded if I'm going to do something or to change or whatever. And I think that's the way it ought to be. That's the balance on it. It's not about being impulsive like the fool of the book of Proverbs is. He's not. But a man, a godly man, brethren, he is a strong, he can be a strong-willed man that it takes some convincing. I think it's almost like, you know, everybody would have to be from Missouri. You've got to show me, all right? That's what Missouri is. you got to show me the show me state to be adjustable so that God can develop us the way that he wants and then be approachable, not get high-minded over it. When the Lord has given you some success and God has used you, you want him to use you again, then you're going to have to stay humbled. And that's what, that's what happens in some of these other places where they got off on these tangents, where they were riding their hobby horse. I've been in some meetings, man, where, where all the guy, you know, where all that was said and done all had to do with an issue. A little issue. Instead of just giving the Bible anymore, it was all about their issue. The thing that they loved or the thing that they... And it really didn't edify anybody. It just made that person feel better about things. Brethren, we want to stay open to the will of God. We want to increase and know, know what we're doing and why we are doing it. It's important. It's important. I, I, I just know that, that whenever I was in school and learning about something, I wanted to know why. Why are we doing this? What was the point of all this? And uh, because there had and that, and that helped me individually to understand what I was doing if I knew why I was doing it. What was the purpose? behind it and so too it is I believe in the will of God with the things of God we need to know what to do and why are we doing it and the way to start off is by yielding myself being in that position of Romans 12 then God can teach me and build me and add to me and it keeps me from those little isms that are out there there's more to look at in this book as we go through it all right but let's pray all right father I sure do thank you for my Bible thank you for my church family these good men, Lord, and I pray you'll bless them, God, and, uh, and, and continue to use them, Lord, even in ways that they never dreamed possible. I pray, Father, that you'll touch them in these days, dear God, and we, we just thank you for Jesus, Lord, and how you love us, and we ask it in his name. Amen.